Welcome to the Liberal Europe Podcast, the European Liberal Forum Project. I'm your host, Ricardo Silvestre. And what a great episode we have today. I'm very happy to welcome to the podcast, Nikos Sotirakopoulos. And I know he's going to make fun of me because of that. I'll try it again. Nikos Sotirakopoulos. And Nikos is a visiting fellow at the Ayn Rand Institute and an academic advisor on the Ayn Rand Center at UK. We were together in a workshop in Lisbon that was organized by the European Liberal Forum on the new European Liberalism series of conversations that focus on the future of liberalism. Nikos is the author of several books, being one of them the basis of today's conversation. We're going to go into polarization, and that's something that I care a lot, being that I worked in this particular topic in my master dissertation, that was focused on political debate online, but we're also going to talk about identity politics and tribalism. Nikos goes into detail on these topics and how his new book, Identity, Politics and Tribalism, The New Culture Wars, can serve as a guideline. This is a great conversation. Nikos had some very good arguments. He's very passionate and he has some tremendous points on these topics. This conversation was recorded live during the LibertyCon conference in Lisbon. This was on the 22nd and the 23rd of April. That elf was very generous in inviting me to attend. After our conversation, I'll be back to tell you about some of the events organized by elf for this month of May. I'm here with Nikos Sotrikapoulos. Yes. I hope I got that right. Almost, but no one gets it perfectly right. <laughs> Nikos, thank you so much for coming to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. And we are at LibertyCon in Lisbon. We can talk about that in a minute because you do have an interest about uh, the literature production from Ayn Rand. But before that, I want you to please go a little bit into yourself. So tell our listeners what was the path that you took until we are now speaking here on the podcast. Quite an unconventional one. So I started as being a hardcore Marxist, someone who took Marx very seriously, both as an activist, but also theoretically. So I've read Das Kapital three times. And <laughs> when I got... Actually, uh, let me interrupt you. You do say that often. Yes. I read Das Kapital three times. Yes. Here's why, here's why I say this often. Because the reason I abandoned Marxism was because I found some things in it which I couldn't find a good answer. Like the labor theory of value, the theory of exploitation. And through trying to find these answers, I came across the Austrian School of Economics. Mm -hmm. And I had a terrible shock to my universe, which was, could Marx be wrong? And turns out, I think he was. So that's how I started the journey. That I, then I discovered Ayn Rand and objectivism. I found it a very fascinating and inspiring philosophy. So to cut a long story short, this is how I found myself from Marxism to the freedom movement, so to speak. But not, let's, let's not cut it so short. So what was your academic career? So my academic career was, I was teaching for 10 years in the UK, in mm -hmm. universities. I was teaching social sciences. My focus was always in uh, political theory and how ideas shape the world that we live in. Because I think ideas matter. Sure. Conservatives have a saying which I think is correct. Politics is downstream from culture. I would also add that culture is downstream from philosophy. So I'm interested in this kind of path from philosophy to culture to politics and to how this shapes the world we live in. Very good. But you, did you always had an interest in... Always. in... always. Always. I come from a very politicized family. 
in Greece it is often the case. So yeah, I find uh, I find politics interesting, and even if you don't find it interesting, they have an interest in you because they impact your. <laughs> and particularly if you come from a country like Greece that has been ruined by bad ideas, then you learn to be a bit more cautious on what ideas you pick and on what is the impact and the importance of ideas. Talking about ideas, you are a prolific author, and in one book in particular, and this is the reason to have you on the podcast, I'm very interested in this topic, and I want to have your insights on them. Your book is called Identity Politics and Tribalism, The New Culture Wars. It's very timely, <laughs> right away, but tell to our listener the thesis of the book. So the main thesis of my work is trying to answer the question, what is happening to the world? So we see a paradox. There is more and more polarization, people taking politics very, very seriously, but we don't see the two poles that we were used to, the left and the right. So think how different the political landscape was, let's say, in the 50s or in the 60s. Take a country like Italy. You go to the elections and you have to vote either for, let's say, the Christian Democrats. They support something like a free market, more or less like a, a liberal democracy. And then you have the Italian Communist Party, a guy literally picking up the phone and speaking with the Kremlin and suggesting a completely different politi political system. Today, we don't have this. Mm -hmm. So today, the left and the right on the big issues like the welfare state, the, whether we're going to have liberal democracy or something else on the big issues, they agree. And yet we see a public sphere which is very, very toxic. And the question is why? And the answer I gave is that today, left and right are not so much two different ideologies. They are more two different tribes, two mm -hmm. different groups. Think about like two different football teams. teams yeah. So two teams, they can change players. The left and right, they can change their ideas. So for example, the right is not anymore in favor of you know, free trade or free immigration. And the left, see how they've turned against free speech, if they were ever in favor of free speech. But in, or they, see how they're against, for example, economic, uh, economic progress and abundance. They had their turn towards more like uh, eco-austerity and environmentalism. So in some ways, the left and right are unrecognizable. And yet, we see the public sphere out there being very, very toxic. And the reason is that the way most people view the world is through groups. Tribalism means I see myself, the world, and others through the prism of the group. Yep. And this group could be my gender, my race, but even my political affiliation. So it's group versus group. And the way I make sense of the world is what does the opposite group that I hate think? I will think the opposite. See, for example... Yeah. Let me interrupt you. Even if I don't believe it? Or, Even or, 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 there's got to be some residue of ideology on that kind of decision. But see how ideology shifts very easily. Let me give you two examples. Remember back in the day, 2014, Barack Obama visits Cuba for the first time. The first American president to, to meet with a Castro. Mm -hmm. What was the conservatives' reaction? This is treason. This is horrible. Three years later, Donald Trump meets Kim Jong-un. Same situation. An American president meets a communist dictator. What is the conservative reaction? Ah, he's a genius. This is brilliant. This is like 4D chess. <laughs> or it could get a uh, more recent example, the vaccines. When Trump was president, he, the, he, the, 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 the fast rollout of the vaccines was supposed to be 
like the biggest contribution he made to humanity, according to conservatives. Then Joe Biden comes to power, the vaccines are actually rolled out, and then suddenly the vaccines are a scheme by Big Pharma and Fauci or whatever else they're saying. Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Same topic, different interpretation based on which group is acting. Very good. Let's stay on that. But you said that the mostly ideologic, and you do understand that, you do study that, the most ideological differences between you being on the left and you being on the right have been subsued. Yes. Do you think, think that will maintain because of polarization or polarization can also recover some of those ideological fights? So the thing is, I'm not very comfortable with the term polarization because, again, polarization would mean we have two poles. But I don't see two poles today. Like, I, in some ways, I wish there was two poles. And the poles I'd want is the pole of freedom and the pole of authoritarianism, of collectivism. So in my mind, the left and the right are on the same pole. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So I wish there was polarization. So this is the weird thing. There is no polarization, but there is all this toxicity and there is all this drama in the public sphere over things that are narrower and narrower and narrower. But are they important? They are very important. For example, free speech is very important, but not something. The right is supposedly today pro-free speech, right? Are they actually pro-free speech? See their take, for example, with, quote, big tech. Once big tech started uh, deplatforming their own people, which we could discuss if it's a good idea. I believe they have the right to do it because it's a private property. But I can morally say, for example, it was a mistake to deplatform Trump. We can discuss this. But see how now suddenly their solution is to tell Twitter, for example, that, uh, they should, that, 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 that the state should intervene on Twitter. Or see their war on, quote, critical race theory. That, uh, that uh, they, they, I, I think it's not far away from the point where they say uh, we should ban it from, uh, also from, uh, I don't know, private institutions. Because that's the only game they know. The only game they know is not to fight the battle of ideas, but to say, well, the state uh, should, do, should do X. So the right, even in that area, which is very important, free speech is super important, but they become like the left who supposedly they hated because they were, uh, the left was, and indeed is, anti-free speech. Then my question to you is, how much energy, how much fuel are we spending on those secondary fights, not one as important as freedom of speech? But the pronouns and the racial, dis well, racial disparity is also <laughs> a big one, but the the critique of the racial disparity. And we do lose, you know, the vision of economics, of justice, yeah. of and human rights. And even, even of racial justice, like, go and ask one of these very fervent anti-racists, ask them, what is racism? Like something very simple. You will see that they block. They will use things like, well, it's a privilege, prejudice, and they don't focus on the very, very, ob the very, very core mm. issue with racism, which is, the collectivism, that you see people not as individuals, and you don't judge them as individuals, but you judge them as part of a collective. So see, for example, how progressive anti-racism commits the sin of racism quite often, because they say, for example, white people do X, or we want to, you know, you're white, you shouldn't talk. So it starts as an epistemological choice, the way we think. We think in groups, not in individuals. So today, we see anti-racism perpetuating this. So it's exactly what you said. We are missing the core of these issues. Transgender issues, very important topic. Free speech, very important topic. Uh, racial justice, very important topic. But the way we discuss them is a way which is completely non-productive 
and it misses the we don't help anyone and particularly the people who think they help these minorities by seeing them as victims without agency i think they're doing them a big uh, disservice even before we go into the individual and the collective and particular identity politics i still want to i want to stay here a little longer because this rise of tribalism in your assessment are people just screaming their lungs out but they're right or they're screaming and it's just gibberish both let me give you an example at some point some people for example think that racism is a problem actually not think racism was was a major problem so it's it's virtues to try to address it even after the civil rights act racism doesn't disappear just like that it stays in people's hearts in people's minds in many people's minds but then if the tool through which you try to solve it is not based on seeing human beings as individuals mm-hmm. as having the at least the capacity to think independently and as having free will then you're going to mess up so for me in all these problems the starting point is that the culture today and for decades i would say doesn't see individual human beings as having the agency and the capacity to make decisions for their life and to stand in this world if you tell people you cannot think for yourself the world doesn't make sense maybe there's not even one reality no one can know reality then it's like you're in a house of a, how do they call them in the theme park the house of ghosts that you don't know what happens behind this door it's a very scary it's a very scary place the house of mirrors the house of mirrors yes so this is and then we're in existential dread and if you're in an existential dread what will you do you try to find safety in the group yes. you try to save to find safety in the tribe and this is why we see all these phenomena and the rise of tribalism now let's move to a need of safety to a need of identification you go into identity politics and this is something that i do care profoundly because i think this is mining not only liberalism but social cohesion so get into that why does this particularly draws your attention because i think that identity politics which historically some of their expressions have been very very progressive in a good way think about the fight for equal mm-hmm. rights for women for black people so i can see where you can say i see this there's a group that is facing injustice and i want to make sure that this group that the, that the members of this group is treated like everyone else it's completely different to say based on which group you are you have different interests that you see the world in a different way and that you understand the world in a different way which day is the case for example how many times have you heard the phrase as a black woman mm. i think x as a white uh, gay person i think x as a greek guy i think x but we think with our minds we don't think with our chromosomes so this is why i think identity politics are eroding because they're eroding i believe in individual agency they're eroding i believe that we can all understand the world that we can figure out the world or see for example these days how we have all these disciplines like uh, black history women's history so it's one thing to say there have been women or black people who have been left out and their many contribution and it's another thing to say that every different group approaches reality in a different way 
And let me interrupt you. If you're not in that group, you have no way of seeing the reality. Exactly. Which is completely absurd. It's absurd. And notice how also it erodes any possibility of solidarity, of genuine solidarity, yes. of understanding, and of... It, then it becomes like a Tower of Babel. We all speak a different language, and when we cannot communicate with reason, what's the only alternative? Force, coercion, tension, which can turn to open violence as we've seen it happening. I would stay with identity politics for the rest of the podcast, but our time is running, because you do also get into academic freedom, which is something that also troubles me as a liberal that defends that in the vein of John Stuart Mill and other thinkers, which is you have the right to say your opinion and then you have the right to not like it and debate it, exactly. but not the right to say, no, exactly. you cannot have that opinion. So please get into that. Exactly. So I would, ex I would describe myself as a free speech absolutist and at the same time a very intolerant person. <laughs> Moral. You need to get into that for sure. <laughs> yes, because I think free speech is, it's basically, it means that I have a right to think and to express my thoughts. So it's related, it's, it's, it's a derivative of my, my, my right to life. How do we live by thinking, by expressing our thoughts, by, by being able to experiment with ideas, we experiment with different thoughts? So I defend your right to do this, of course, in your own property. I don't think that I have a right, for example, to come to your podcast and say, if you don't put me on your podcast, you take away my, my right in free mm -hmm. speech. Mm -hmm. So I will go to the barricades for that right, even for bad people. But at the same time, I will not tell them, oh, I respect your ideas. I don't respect the ideas of fascists. Mm -hmm. I just don't. I don't respect the ideas of racists. But I do defend the right to express these ideas in their own platforms or in other platforms if they will have them. So I completely think, I think that these two are completely different. Morally, you should judge bad ideas because otherwise they remain in the open and they, they unjudged and they grow. But at the same time, you have to realize that rights are absolute. It cannot be that I have a right, but this other, there are no group rights. They're only, in my view, they're only individual rights. So I have a right to free speech, which means to the channels that will have me, I have the right to say whatever I want, and so does everyone else. But how, I'm a quasi-absolutist, and actually I wrote an entire master's dissertation on this, on in particular in political speech online. Like for example, you just said in the beginning of our conversation that you do not agree that Trump should have been um, suspended from Twitter. But there are limits of speech where you go to inciting violence or inciting oh, hate. How did you square then those two opinions? So my, my issue with Twitter was that it didn't have any clear standard. Okay. Oh. Like you cannot have the mullahs of Iran and then think that, uh, you know, I'm going, to, I'm going to remove Trump. So incitement to violence, it's, it's, it's difficult to find a definition, but it clearly falls outside of free speech. That's criminal. That's a criminal offense. Yes, so if I say there's a Jewish synagogue and there's like a, a mob of like anti-Semitists, they go, let's go there and torch it. This is not free. This is direct incitement to action. But this falls outside of free speech anyway. Yes. It's like saying, I have a right to property, 
and saying, oh, why don't you let me launch rockets to the neighbors? I'm just, you know, it's just my property. <laughs> no, your right to property is absolute, but it doesn't include your right to launch rockets. Absolutely, that's a great point. Uh, we do have a couple more minutes, and I will, as an academic, as a thinker, I would like to know where do you think that this will lead to? Where are we going? So we, are go so we, we experienced a time where, for a lack of a better word, the left became too crazy. My fear is now that the answer that many people will find will be in an authoritarian right. And some people will think that, oh, they stand for freedom because they're against the left. The left is crazy. Therefore, whoever is against them must be the good guys. No. So my big fear is that I see the, right, the rise of this right, which is going to say, oh, who will impose order? But what, why do they fight the left? Is it because they defend freedom? No. It's because they want to be the ones who will tell you what you're supposed to do and you're, what you're not supposed to do in your, in your life. So the only possible answer is to say, no, the axis is not left-right. The axis is freedom, authoritarianism, reason, irrationalism. These are the axes. How easy or how possible it is to then substitute this tribalism, these eco-chambers for that kind of rationality? What can we do? First of all, it's to persuade people in ourselves, first of all, because we, I also fall in the tribalist trap quite often. You are, like, the problem with tribalism is not first and foremost that it makes the public sphere toxic. The basic problem of tribalism is that it makes you stupid. Whenever I'm a tribalist, <laughs> I don't think clearly. I mean, if you, if you judge the world not based on reality, but based on groups, you're mistaken. And this has effects in your life. Let me give you an example. Let's say there's a new pandemic and then there's a vaccine come out. How you judge? Like, what are the risks here? What are the benefits? It can literally be an issue of life and death. Imagine if your decision is, oh, my tribe uh, hates the guy who released the vaccine, therefore uh, I'm not going to take it. Like, I don't want to enter the vaccine discussion, but you see the point. Yep. How you take a decision can be something which is very, very important for your life. As we are uh, running out of time, you do have other publications. You also have that interest on the work of Ayn Rand. Well, inter interest is an understatement. I work in the Ayn Rand Institute. I'm so passionate for these ideas that uh, I made them my career. So I, I teach at the, at the Ayn Rand University and I tour and give talks on politics based on the philosophy of Ayn Rand, which is basically a philosophy of reason and freedom. And these are the ideas that move me. How do you analyze the, the backlash of some of the ideas of Ayn Rand well, when you think about general culture, not, you know... Yeah, it's, look, it's a very radical philosophy. It's a philosophy that goes against all sorts of political collectivism, but also it goes against a dominant morality which tells you that the good thing, that living for your own happiness is something bad. That if you're, quote, selfish, you're a bad person. And this is clearly not the case. That's a great point, but it does translate to some neocon policies, neoliberal policies, and that backlash comes also from that. Do you think that, this is a trick question, I understand that, but do you think that there's some distortion then of the ideas? So I wish the quote neocons or the quote ne neoliberals were actually influenced by Ayn, uh, by Ayn Rand. So of course there are distortions, but again, applying a philosophy of reason in your life is difficult. 
I told you how often, particularly with sports, I am a tribalist. So imagine if this doesn't only apply on how you deal with the culture wars, but it applies with all the areas of your life. So applying a philosophy is difficult anyway. So there will be distortions. But again, the point is, does this philosophy work for you? Does it make your life better? Is it a tool? So that's the point of philosophy. Philosophy is not for the ivory tower. Philosophy is a tool for you to have a better life. This is an amazing conversation. I hope you come back to the podcast. We do have some more topics to go into, and I really uh, appreciate your insights and uh, your passion on these topics. But now, for the benefit of our listeners, tell people if you can recommend a couple of books from you and also where they can find your work online. I would recommend the last book, Identity Politics and Tribal in the New Culture Wars. It's available on Amazon. So I create content for the Ayn Rand Institute. So follow Ayn Rand Institute on YouTube and the Ayn Rand Center UK again on YouTube. And you can follow me on Twitter if you cannot spell my name, <laughs> Nikos underscore 17. And I'm Instagram, LinkedIn. I also have a small YouTube and TikTok channel recently. So you can find You're me everywhere, there. Probably. But mostly on Twitter. Twitter is my okay. where I mostly post. Well, I'm going to put all these links on the show notes. Indeed, Sotirakopoulos. That was better than the first attempt. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I'm going to put all the links on the podcast show notes. Also a link for the book. Please buy the book and read it. It's a tremendous uh, work done by Nikos. And I really recommend it. And a reasonable price, which is not the case with academic books often. All right, so one more extra motivation. Uh, Nikos, this was amazing. And again, I'm going to invite you to come back to the podcast. But for now, thank you so much for talking to me. Thank you, Ricardo. Thanks a lot. Just reminded that you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you feel like it, give us a five-star review. In that way, you can help us spread even more liberal values and ideas. And now for some of the events organized by ELF for this month of May. On the 25th of May, this from 10 a.m. 6 p.m. Central Eastern Time, at the National House at Vinohradi in Prague, we have Digital Czech Republic. This conference will explore how to achieve successful digitalization by adopting laws that will better integrate our digital markets and create European digital identity. This is organized by the Institute for Politics and Society, our friends in Prague, and of course has the support of the European Liberal Forum. In short, successful digitalization requires adopting a series of laws that will better integrate digital markets, create European digital identity, and improve our cyber resilience in an ever-changing environment full of threats. Where we are only at the beginning of a long and challenging journey. We need to invest in people to make it easier for the young and the old to work, learn and find jobs in the European Union. We must adopt policies that enhance people's ability to be mobile, to do business and acquire new skills. So if you are on Prague during these days, register for this event because it's an amazing one. And this is all for now. I'll be back soon with more podcasts. Until then, let's keep making the world a better place. This podcast is produced by the European Liberal Forum, co-founded by the European Parliament, and have the support of the social liberal movement Think Tank in Portugal and Liberty Foundation in Poland. The views expressed herein are those of the speakers alone, and these views do not necessarily reflect those of the European Parliament and or the European Liberal Forum. <laughs>